Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Apalachicola. We pray that these messages challenge and encourage you. Now let's get into the Word together. Ephesians, Ephesians 1. Um, one of the things that we're doing, uh, Miss Holly has signed up, and Mary has signed up, and Patrick signed up. On my website, I have a RSIM website where I will give people um, individual Bible studies that... Um, just I feel led to put on that your page so you can have your personal website page with uh, Bible studies on it and you can correspond with me privately and ask me for certain studies I've had people from all over the world contact me about different studies and and uh, so if you're interested in getting signed up you know talk to Holly and she'll show you how to do it or come in and see me and uh, that way you can always, there'll be, um, uh, once I get over and get settled, I'll be doing some uh, audio and maybe some video uh, studies of 15 minutes or 30 minutes in length and posting them. Um, and it's basically for, for a better term, I'll say the deeper walk. You know, for those who want to go a little bit more into the Word of God and so... Uh, so y'all guys have been in it. You got anything you want to say about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's things I can't preach and teach because, uh, for one, for the big thing is uh, most of my studies that I do are anywhere between 20 to 50 pages long. Uh, to preach it would be like two months in a series, and if you miss a Sunday, you miss something, and. It's hard to preach that kind of material, so I just do it in a, I write it and hopefully do some of it in a video uh, conferencing with different 30-minute segments to where people can, can get it. And, and uh, so this is, this is pretty heavy stuff. Um, yeah, not a whole lot we can give in 15, 20-minute, 30-minute sermon, but, you know, what are you looking at me like that for, you know? So you can, uh, if you just want the printouts, Holly can print them out for you. Uh, again, a lot of the studies are extensive. Uh, they're quite lengthy. Um, I just ask that you don't release them to everybody because it's material that's eventually going to end up in some books. And if somebody takes it and they use it, then I, you know, then I can't use it in the book if they take it and use it on themselves. It says on the bottom of the page that it's copyrighted and it can only be used in, a, in church studies and Bible study, personal Bible studies, but, you know, I have seen some of my material shown up in places. So. In Ephesians chapter 1, um, going, uh, we've, we've gone up through uh, verse 14 and 15, talking about the Holy Spirit, and then we lightly covered uh, the first apostolic prayer of Paul 
starting in verse 16 when he said he ceased not to give thanks. And so what I want to do is just give some points of this prayer that um, Paul, as he prayed, and isn't it amazing that we're quick to pray the Lord's Prayer? There's no place, it's only listed twice in the Bible, in the New Testament, once in Matthew and once in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 11, Matthew chapter 6. And we, he never told us to pray it. The apostles never prayed it. And yet, everybody for centuries have been praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, um, I, it's meant to be a model to copy uh, uh, a format. It wasn't meant to be used as pray this, you know. Um, and it's amazing if you, you know, if you watch like Westerns like I do, you can guarantee that if somebody's going to get shot, they're going to be saying the Lord's Prayer and, and Psalm 23, you know, and then quote some scriptures out of Job, you know. Uh, so, dust you came, dust you shall return. I came in this world with nothing. I go out this world with nothing. Lord, receive them unto you, you know. It's like, uh, makes no difference how they lived. Had made no difference about any personal relationship with God. Uh, when they die, we can just automatically just send them to heaven. We can just hand them up there to him, you know, and he obligated to take them. That's what he, some of the old westerns have the idea of, but in the apostolic prayer, uh, and the reason we call it apostolic is because uh, it carries authority in governments. There's revelation in this, uh, and the fact that it was an apostle praying it, uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ, when he prayed that prayer in John 17, he did not pray it as God. Uh, it would have been uh, something, you know, I mean, it is amazing, God praying for God. You know. But it was the humanity of Jesus praying to the Father. In John 17, the longest recorded prayer we have in verses 1 through 5 in John 17, he prays for himself, for what he was about to face. And, and, John, uh, and then in 17, uh, verses 6 through 20, or 6 through 19, he prays for the 12 disciples. And then 20 through 26, he prays for us, which is an amazing prayer. When you get into John 17 and read how the Lord, and when our Lord Jesus Christ walked, there were times he walked in the role of uh, the rabbi or the priest, but there's times he walked as an apostle, there's times he walked as an evangelist, there's times he walked... Uh, as a, as a teacher, a pastor. And so he switched between those five key roles that we find in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 11, it says, And he gave some to the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And we see our Lord switch between those. And the way he prayed, a kingly prayer is different than a priestly prayer. And a priestly prayer is different than a prophetic prayer. And... Uh, when you study all the prayers in the Bible, you'll see how people pray. Did they pray a prophetic prayer? Did they pray a priestly prayer, a kingly prayer, or a servant's prayer? There's a servant's prayer. where, uh, And especially when you read David's prayers, uh, the prayers of Moses. Um, and so there's a lot that we can glean from it. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 17, it says... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We find there uh, in 17b, 
that we might, it was in the heart of Paul, that we might know God. And it's not knowing him intellectually, and it's not knowing him relationally. So it's not coming into a relationship, because he's talking to Christians who already had relationship. It was an intimate knowledge of God. I first met Debbie, and I found out what her name was. That was the intellectual. And then uh, we uh, entered into a relationship called engagement. So uh, there was no, now it moved in from a knowledge of, of her name and her birth date and a little bit about her. Now we're moving into more of a relationship. But then we got married, and now we moved into an intimacy that is not allowed outside of marriage. It's a, uh, a deep, deep, deep personal. And uh, there was a song years ago, If You Don't Know Me By Now, You Will Never, Never, Never Know Me. I don't know who, who sang that, but anyway, I like that song. But, but they might know God. And chapter 1, verse 18 says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the riches of glory and the inheritance of the saints. So 18a, the first part of that, that we may know God's calling. Now, uh, that's an interesting, uh, if you got your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance or some kind of concordance you can go to and study, look up the word called or calling. And it's interesting uh, how many places that we find and what God has called us into. Uh, first is position-wise. He called us into certain positions. He called us to be holy. He called us to be sons. He, these are all position places. You know, it's a, it's a great place of position to know that we're sons and daughters of the King of Kings. That is an incredible position. When somebody comes out, who do you think you are? I'm going, I'm going to tell you who I am. I am a son of the Most High God. How dare you even say anything about that? I am a son. I am a king. What? What are you the king of? I am a king over the domain that God has placed in my hands. He says in Revelation that he has made us to be kings. Um, and John talks about us becoming gods. Now that word gods there means judges. So when we get to heaven, we get to judge the angels. We will be judges. We will stand in places of judges. Uh, so these things of knowing God's calling. Now, instead of me going through and giving you a hundred verses of everything, I'd like to leave a little bit up for your own personal study. In 18b, he said that we might know God's riches. And that's another incredible study word, to know the riches of Christ, the riches of inheritance, the riches of, of um, his grace, the riches of mercy. And it just goes on and, and to find how deep. And, and in Romans... In Romans chapter 8, sometimes I think we read this too fast and we miss some of it. In Romans chapter 8, and this is some of that, the riches that he says, I want you to know this. And Paul, in sitting down and writing now, Paul who knew all, uh, had the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses to memory and had to because of the position he had and, and get saved. He knew the law. He was a Jew among Jews, it says, um, and uh, uh, zealous among all of his fellow Jews, uh, knew uh, what it would be like 
to really have a relationship with God. And, and the best he had, he knew that he had during that New Testament period, that time, was imputed righteousness. The best that he could ever imagine. Now, he didn't have that, but he, could, but he realized that the best anyone could have had in the Old Testament was imputed righteousness. In other words, have faith in God, and because of that faith, it was imputed in them that they were righteous and they were saved. Not saved like us with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. However, all those in the Old Testament, all the way up to the thief on the cross that, that got saved, they could not go to heaven except what? Through, how, how do they get to heaven? Through who? Through who? Through Jesus. The only way you get to see the Father is through the Son. So all those, all of those who died from Adam all the way up to the thief on the cross were stuck in Abraham's bosom. They could not go to heaven until they'd seen the Son. And so when Jesus died and he, and he went into, he says he goes into two different places. First he goes into hell and he takes the keys of authority of the death, of grave, of sin, away from the enemy. He goes into Abraham's bosom and preaches to those who are in captivity. That's why he said to the, to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, which was Abraham's bosom. Today I'm gonna, uh, you're going to be with me in another place. And because everyone that was stuck there, if you would imagine this upper region of, of hell with a gulf across it, you know, and we, and we know that story from what? Lazarus and the rich man. So Lazarus and the rich man, that they could see back and forth, but they couldn't travel back and forth. And those who were in hell were, you know, the rich man says, can you send somebody? Father Abraham, could you send somebody to talk to my brother so they not come here? And that's why, you know, signs and wonders, we, signs and wonders are supposed to follow us, but people don't get saved through signs and wonders. Yes? If we were trying to tell somebody where to find this, where would we find it in the Bible? It find what? To imputed righteousness in, in Abraham's book. What scriptures could we go to? Can I just give you a whole study on that? Yeah. I've got a whole study on it. I just, just put it back here in the back this week and for everybody. Uh, um, it's in most of it's going to be in Hebrews, okay, um, where it talks about and Abraham was righteous, was imputed upon righteousness, and it uses that word, and it, and uh, you can go to the Greek and see what it means, and and so when Jesus goes in, I give you the whole study that way you can just kind of see what it's like before people met Jesus, like uh, the first one. Uh, first martyr, Stephen, who knew what it was like to have actual salvation. You know? uh, so soon after somebody was born again, they died <laughs> you know, for the faith. The first martyr that we know of. Uh, so they preached. Then Jesus could take that, that region and take it in. And uh, one of the greatest psalms of a picture of that, Psalm 24, you know, um, that you can, can read on it. So Jesus had to go first, our Lord Jesus, as the first fruit of many to follow. And so somebody said, well, where is the spirit and soul of all those saints now? I believe they're in heaven. And everybody who dies now goes into heaven. They don't have to go down in paradise or Abraham's bosom anymore. That that's been relieved, that's been taken out, 
of that region when the Lord Jesus went in there and preached. And Ephesians, and when we get to Ephesians, it talks about the captives being set free. Uh, and he preached unto those who were captives. But in Romans chapter 8, he says, For I am persuaded, verse 38. Uh, we'll start with verse 37. And verse 37, he says, In all these things, so you have to read the whole chapter to see what all these things are. It says, In all these things, and he was really talking about all the stuff, the persecution and trials and tribulations and and uh, it just kind of, I have to laugh sometimes when somebody comes to me and tells me that, they're, oh, they're really under persecution. Oh, we're really, you know, somebody called me and cussed me out. And I went, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> you know. and, and let's read what persecution really is. In verse 36, we'll start there. For it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. Anybody here been killed or you know anybody's been killed for the gospel's sake? <laughs> you know. Uh, we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we're, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death. Now, this is the riches. This is the riches of his grace and his riches of his mercy. These are some of the things he said, I wish that the church knew. He says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities and powers, and nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How deep that is. And how rich that is to know. Uh, and Paul was praying that the church at Ephesus would understand what he had taught to the church at Rome. And then in... Not only did he say in verse 17 that they might know God, in verse 18 that they may know God's calling, verse, uh, also in 18 they may know God's riches, but in verse 19 to 23, 19 to 23, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is to be named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave them to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all and so that we might know his power that the very power that he was spoke that he spoke about here the very power that raised him from the dead dwells in us. We don't have to trump up power, work up power. We don't have to be a pep rally and try to build ourselves up and pray. Uh, I've been in prayer meetings and thought if we got louder and faster that then we would make something happen. We would move the hand of God. It's not about being loud or being fast or running or, or shouting. or anything. It has nothing to do with human zeal. It all has to do with the power of God in us being released to something. And, and every need I have inside me, the answer I, is also inside of me. Yeah. So every hurt and pain that I have, the answer to that is still inside. Uh, what keeps me going? It's not because I'm strong. It's not because of my willpower. It's not because uh, I'm hyperactive. It's because of Jesus in me. It's the Jesus in me. When I was laying on that operating table down there, in, or that uh, table down there in, 2009 in Gainesville and 
they wanted to do another catheterization because they didn't believe what the Germans said about my heart. And when they did that catheterization, I had just told them that I had a left bundle branch block. It means the left side of my heart don't beat, which means since the left side don't beat, be careful going in and touching the wall on the right side. That's what that means. And I'm sitting there watching that TV screen, and I'm watching, they got TV screens all around, it's got a doctor and a nurse, and they bring that catheter up, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching it, and, and it's moving, and he spins it, and it comes over and touches the side of the heart, and the heart stops just like that. And so they hit the code blue, the room fills up, and I'm just watching the heart's flatline. It's just, and in my mind, it's like I'm speaking, but I'm only doing it in my mind. And I'm saying, praise God, I can't die because God says I'm not done. And I knew I couldn't die. I had no fear whatsoever. I'm sitting there looking at that, and I'm just waiting for it to start. And finally come in with the big needle, you know, and, you know, shot the, the uh, whatever the solution that they put in to get the heart stimulated. And, and uh, they got a little beat, and it was in the 30s, and it got up into the 40s, and for the rest of the the procedure it stayed in the 40s and didn't get up until the 50s and 60s till later that night you know but the doctor asked me he said you had a smile on your face he said I was watching that he said what was that I said I knew I couldn't die because God's not through with me see the power of God in me is greater than anything or any circumstance that can come to me now there's going to come a time when I know I'm going to die there is going to come a time and I'm okay with that if God says it's tomorrow, I'm okay with that. I, I don't know if you're okay with it, but I, I'd be okay with that. You wouldn't have any choice, you know. So, and that's, that's that he says we can know this. That doesn't have to be a mystery to us. We don't have to flounder around in our life, in our whole life as a Christian life, and, and do things according to the bulletin or to our creed or our code. That we can actually operate in the power of God that lives in. We can know this and express this and walk in this. And we don't have to, to have a service that's dictated by the will and ways of man that, that leaves God out of it. I'm just concerned that if God showed up in some of our churches, it would scare the daylights out of us. Then in the second chapter, moving to the second chapter. And by the way, the, the scripture we read in Romans 8 and this scripture we read here in verse 21 of the first chapter, it talks about principalities, powers, rulers, dominions, and high places. And it says it again later on in Ephesians. This, this talks about the hierarchy of the demonic. The demonic has got a hierarchy, uh, Satan obviously being the head and then under him, I believe there's three spirits. That's my belief. I believe it's... Uh, Jezebel, uh, which is sexual perversion and uh, an attack against all male authority. The whole existence of Jezebel, when she became power, was to make eunuchs of anybody who was really manly and, and uh, to uh, surround herself with feminine uh, authority, uh, creating a a system of uh, the churches I've been in, the Jezebel running there. I remember I was in this church in, in um, Fort Walton. 
And uh, they asked me to preach, and so I was preaching. And I went, whoa, man. And so I, I asked for the elders to come. I'd like to talk to you. And so all the pastors got together. One of them was his uncle. And uh, that. So all these men and women gathered around. The senior pastor was the only one who wouldn't come. I said, you have a Jezebel spirit in your church. I said, it's corrupting the church. It's a sexual spirit. It's a perverted spirit. It's a, it's a spirit that's causing uh, uh, doctrinal twisting. In other words, it's just not pure. It had just enough scripture that it sounded good. And, you know, you can just change the scripture just a little bit and it's no longer truth. It's just true. But it's, no, it's not truth. It's not God's truth anymore. The women sitting around that table, four women sitting around that table, all looked at each other and said, we knew it. See, women are very, very, very keen when there's a spirit operating in the church. Sometimes us men, we're a little bit brain dead and we're just totally clueless. Because, you know, we can't carry our screwdriver in, twist it and fix it. We can't change a light bulb or something. So, you know, we don't always gather there's something going on in the house that's spiritual. So uh, the men all go, whoa, no, I don't know about all that. And I said, I, I can tell you who, it's, who, it's, who it is in the church. And I described the lady. And again, the four ladies looked at each other and said, we knew it. And I said, well, y'all better do something about it. Well, they didn't. Because the women couldn't do anything because the men thought that I was out in la-la land. So let me tell you what happened to that church. It no longer exists. The senior pastor, if he goes overseas to certain countries now, he's going to prison. Because in counseling sections, not only overseas, but all over Fort Walton, uh, that region over there, he has sexually molested multiple, multiple women in the name of spiritual counseling. That church, what's that? Senior pastor. Senior pastor. The senior pastor. That church exploded. And multitude of people were hurt. Multitudes no longer even attend uh, church anywhere. Of course, that one doesn't exist anymore. The senior pastor is still trying to start ministry and stuff, but his name is out there. Everybody knows, you know, what he did. If he goes into Holland, he's going to prison. Goes into Norway, he's going to prison. Uh, there's, there's, uh, I'm, I'm surprised they don't extradite him for stuff that he's done. But <laughs> his uncle was hurt through this and took years to get over it, you know, from knowing all this stuff that this man that they looked up to uh, was involved in all this perversion going on in the church. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also you all had our conversation or behavior in times past in the lust of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, 
and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So here in Ephesus, they had one of the seven wonders of the world. It was one of the largest temples in all of Asia Minor, and Ephesus was called Little Rome. And so whenever the emperor, whenever um, the leadership of Rome wanted to get away and go somewhere, they would come to Ephesus. It was a major metropolitan area. It was an economic um, stronghold. It was just incredible. Uh, but the, the temple to, of Diana was there. Artemis uh, is another name for it. And it was a fertility goddess. And most all of the shops, they either made fetishes or they sold them. Uh, idols, pieces of statues and things like this. Um, everything from little statues to things that you could pray for or pray with or pray to. And so all these people were tied into this. So Paul goes down and preaches for three years. Well, guess what happens? What happens? It was a great revival. Well, when the great, great revival happened, everybody had a bonfire and they brought all their, their paraphernalia that they were worshiping from this temple goddess. They brought it in the city and burned it. The demons were screaming out, you know. And, and so then all the blacksmiths, you know, and uh, I got in trouble over in Wakulla County because I had a burn party in the back of the church. Uh, all these kids were getting saved and radically born again. And we had over 40 kids got saved in a... Uh, and, and God was just moving a mighty way. Well, they all had T-shirts and music and books and stuff that were on witchcraft and everything else. Well, they wanted to, they come to me and says, we want to get rid of it. And I said, well, we'll just have a burn party. Well, my goodness, I had parents and people in the city. I'm Hitler because, I, you know, now I'm, I'm causing uh, I'm, I'm, uh, censorship. That I'm bringing censorship because, and, and you would be amazed at some of the stuff that happened. We were throwing stuff on there to be burnt. Uh, things that, that wouldn't even burn in that fire until we prayed about it. It would just lay there in that hot fire until we prayed and for the fire to consume it. Um, and, and the strongholds that broke off those kids when they brought their books of witchcraft and and wicked evil music and do you know that a lot of the music out there is telling the kids that it's all right to have intercourse with dead bodies that's the, that's the rock that's the grunge and the rock music that they're listening to this is the kind of stuff that's going in the minds of our kids that that, that this is what they need to be achieving for or going after so um, this is the kind of thing that Paul was teaching. This is what you were in. This is who you were. He was reminding them where they came from, where the church of Ephesus come from. And so uh, what he's saying in this, that if you could put something across the top of that chapter, it says sin works against us. Sin will always work against us. Sin will never be on our side. Sin will never be in our favor. Sin will never help us advance our lives for God. There is never anything good in sin. It is always against us. And then, uh, oh, let's see here. In 2-1, oh, in 2-1, the sin that was against us brought death. It was death. 
That's all sin can ever bring is death. In two, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, disobedience. Sin always causes us to be a disobedient people. In verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 3b, uh, depraved people. Uh, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we are as bad as we can be, but we're as bad off as we can be. When we were lost, uh, we couldn't take a poll here about which one of us was, was more wicked when we were lost. I, I know that this boy here was a pretty, pretty bad stinker, and I was a pretty bad stinker. And I don't know about y'all guys before you knew Jesus, but, but I can tell you, Debbie was so, she was so squeaky clean that she, the, I think about the only thing she ever did in her life, she tore the tag off of a mattress once, you know. That says, do not remove this tag, you know, stuff. And, Man, she was she was so moral and squeaky clean when I met her. I, it, it embarrassed. She didn't even know Jesus, and she was more moral than most church members that I knew. Now she thought she knew the Lord, and ended up getting saved 15 years later after we got saved, after we got married. So depraved. So when you're lost, you can't get any worse than that. And and in, uh, in 3b, he says, and we're by nature the children of wrath. The children of wrath. Then in Ephesians 2, starting with verse 4, he said, but God. Now, now if you want to look up something interesting in the Strong's or in some kind of concordance you have, look up the, the phrase, but God. It's an interesting throughout the Bible. It says this could happen or this happened, but God. And I love it when... When uh, I was lost and headed to hell and I was a drug addict and I was like a vegetable going somewhere to die and my, I was down to 145 pounds. My eyes were sunk back in my head. Everybody had given me up and, and I'd go in the chow hall to eat and I'd go through and I'd get my food and I'd set it down in front of me and then I'd sit and I'd panic and I'd leave because I'd watch my food moving on my plate because I was so strung up on drugs. But God, but God, Invaded my life. It says, but God, who is rich, there's that word, who is rich in what? Mercy. Who is rich in mercy for his great love whereth he hath loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, uh, in those first three verses, we said sin works against us. In verse 4, we find God works for us. Sin works against us. Sin will always work against us. Uh, you remember the, the old saying says, sin will take you further than you want to go, uh, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's sin. But God is for us. In verse 4 of chapter 2, he begins to talk about God being on our side, or us being with God, partnership with God. And in that, in verse 4, we find out he loved us. In verse 5, he quickened us or brought us to life. Verse 6, he sealed us or exalted us, I mean. He exalted us. And, and you can imagine, no matter what condition you were in, God lifted you up. You could have been moral and righteous, and not more, not righteous, but moral and just a good person, and everybody loved you, and you were the, you know, you were the, uh, uh, 
the person everybody in town spoke highly of, but God come in and lifted you and exalted you far higher than any man could lift you up and exalt you. And he also, he says, he kept us in verse 7 through 9, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Now we have went from riches of his mercy to riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. And great salvation message uh, right there in verse 8 and 9. It tells us how, we can sa- how we're saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace, God's unmerited favor. For by God's unmerited favor are we saved through faith. And where'd the faith come from? Did I have to generate it? Okay, so we know the verse in Romans chapter 10 says faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But what if I didn't hear any word of God? I was in my room by myself. One o'clock in the morning. I didn't have a preacher and I didn't have a Bible. Faith coming by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So there's, there's different levels of faith. One we call our saving faith. It's a faith that's a gift from God. God gives us the faith. He says that he gave every man the measure of faith. A measure of faith, a portion, more than you need to get saved. When somebody says, well, you know, I, 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 don't, know how to, I don't know how to believe. I don't know how to have faith. I don't know how to get saved. I don't know how to, well, so, well Sometime in your life, God's given you a measure of faith to get saved. You didn't have to generate it. You didn't have to go to church for it. You didn't have to read your Bible for it. Now, after I get saved, uh, then he's given me uh, the ability to go into the Word of God, read the Word of God, faith coming by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And, and the more I hear, the more faith. The more I hear the Word. And when somebody says, I don't have faith to do this, it usually tells me that they're not in the Word. Or they're not hearing the word. Words being preached but not hearing. Sleeping through it. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So he loved us. He quickened us or brought us to life. He exalted us and he kept us. That will take us to the ninth verse of the second chapter. And that is far enough tonight. Any questions? I don't know. You know, there's things that we're going to do in the heavens that says that we will judge the angels. And it says that in Hebrews and Revelations, but I have no idea. Because uh, unless he's talking about the fallen angels. Because the fallen angels, will uh, they're roaming the earth today. One day, uh, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Right? And so, uh, unless it's referring that we will judge them and send them to the lake of fire. There's some things in the Word of God that we can assume. And I, you know, I, I give you, I'll give you one. Um, when you study about a pre-trib rapture, and what they say is somewhere between the fourth and fifth chapter of Revelation, the church flies away. Well, I have studied that fourth and fifth chapter of Revelation over and over and over and over. And I don't see any place where the church ceases to be on the face of the earth. There. 
it's that's Tim LaHaye, Great Lake, Great Lake, Great Lake Planet of Earth, and Hagee down there in, in Texas and in all his books and all the Left Behind series, they all say the same thing that between the fourth chapter you got your first three chapters about the church, the seven churches, and then you get into the fourth chapter, and somewhere in that fourth chapter, toward the end of the fourth chapter, between the fourth and fifth, the church gets raptured out, and then from the fifth chapter on, there's nobody but the lost people here. I, I challenge anybody to prove that with the Word of God. You know. It's assumed, you know, and it's not even a good assumption, uh, but it's assumed. Uh, and so, w what I believe it is, and going into Bible college, uh, we had to study pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, rapture, and the and the the the, the uh, professor. Took, had three big boards, three big blackboards, and he wrote all the scriptures for pre-trib. And, of course, everybody in the classroom going, yeah, amen, praise God, you know, because everybody was pre-trib. Then he went over here and he wrote everything out for post-trib. Then he went over here and put everything for the mid-trib. And, and everybody's going like, hmm, hmm. Going, that's quite interesting. And I found that the post-trib used more scriptures without pulling them out of trying to pull them. The pre-trib took scriptures that were hit and miss here and there, but it didn't flow in the chapters. It didn't flow in the, in other words, when you put, plugged them back in the chapter, they didn't fit. You know. So um, I leave it up to everybody. You know, I, the reason I preach post-trib, because if I preach you, if I teach you how to stay and overcome through tribulation and I'm wrong, I haven't lost anything. And you haven't lost anything. But if I sit here and just teach you that, hey, in any given day now, you're going to fly away. And that's wrong. And you go through tribulation. I didn't prepare you to stand. Right? So, for the first off, you know, just want to tell you that if you believe in the pre-trib rapture and you believe that Jesus could come any moment, I just want to ask you this. How long is it going to take to rebuild that temple? Yes. So is the minute the rapture takes place, they're going to be, the Jews are going to be going back and entering into the temple and having sacrifices in the temple and going to be three and a half years of world peace and then three and a half years of war when the Antichrist goes in and defile the temple. And so if the rapture took place right, right now, then they would have to build a temple overnight. We need to get away from this whole concept that it can happen any moment. And start watching the times and and the and uh, the sign of the times like we should be doing, and and move away from wishful thinking and move into things that's more biblical, and so because the temple needs to be rebuilt because of things that's going to happen, and we know that when the Lord comes, uh, if we embrace a seven-year tribulation period, which is three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of of war. Uh, that prior to that seven years, that temple's got to be ready. And all the whole priesthood and everything's got to be established. And I, I just don't know why we don't think about that when we go on like, he can come any moment, any moment, any moment. I'm going, really? And, uh, but it would be nice to feel that. You know. Yeah. You know, I, I, I bring my comfort. Uh, he says, Maranatha, comfort one another in these, in this. Comfort one another with these words, Maranatha. 
which means the Lord is coming back. There is going to come a time he's coming back. It may not be in my lifetime, but I comfort myself in the fact that he is coming back. And when he does, then I get a glorified body, you know, and but I got to move beyond the comfort of according to word. And I got to have that instead of of wishful thinking that's not based upon biblical truth. Wishful thinking doesn't bring me comfort. And, and, and uh, uh, it's like the, it's like the uh, truth. Are we going to be in heaven when we die? When we breathe our last here, do we get to breathe our first up there? Is that biblical? Is it? Are we going to heaven in our spirit and soul as soon as we die? Say, Y'all can say yes. It's not a trick question. It is. We're going to go to heaven. As soon as you die, your body and spirit is going to leave you and you're going to go to heaven. You know? What's that? It's not a trick question. You know? And, and yet, and yet, we go into panic mode when we face death. And it's like, wow. Why do we panic so much? It's kind of like, okay, we might die. Our heart may stop. But if I live, I live. I die, I die. But I'm going to see the king. You know? Absolutely, absolutely, and and so these are the you know these are wrapped up in these prayers, these apostolic prayers, these thoughts that if we're going to stay, in fact, and I, I this is a challenge I give to every church, and I said, why are you reading your Word of God? Why are you reading the New Testament? I want you to every time you see the word persecution or tribulation, I want you to see who he's talking to. At no time is he talking to lost people. He's always talking to the church. I mean, study that every time. Y'all remember Corey Tim Boone? Yeah. You ever read any books on Corey Tim Boone? Would you agree with me that that woman was a godly, godly woman? She was absolutely an incredible woman of God. And what she did and what she faced and, and how she had to forgive. Was it. When she came to America to preach, she went around... And holding conferences, and she would get up with pastors, holding conferences, nothing but pastors. And she'd get up, and she would let them have it. How dare you preach that we're going to fly away one day? She was a very strong post-trib person. She says, go ahead and tell me that we haven't, that Europe hasn't been through some tribulation, persecution time. Go ahead and tell me that this hasn't happened. Go ahead and tell me that millions haven't died in the name of Jesus Christ just because they were Christians. She says, go ahead and tell me that, that we're all going to be fine, but there's a seven-year tribulation period out there where, you know, I mean, she bashed, she bashed the church. And this was back in the 50s and the 60s. You know, you can read it. You can read it in the books. Read it in the books, you know. And this woman of God come in and, to America, and she was shocked at American Christianity, that we're sitting on our blessed assurance waiting to fly away in the sky by and by, you know. When instead, of, uh, instead of waking up, going out, and preparing people before all heck hits. So, all right. So, Wednesday night, see y'all guys. Uh, I'm... I'm we don't know when we're going to close Thursday. So uh, I'm hoping, uh, or when we got to do a walkthrough, I'm hoping.